0: This podcast is brought to you by the Creation Academy Honors Program, an apologetics learning experience designed to teach, train, and inspire others to become strong defenders of the Christian faith and biblical creation. Launching early 2019, the program offers video and audio training. With downloadable course workbooks, expert interviews, and exclusive Q&A sessions with leading creation scientists and apologists, quarterly eBooks covering a wide variety of subject matter, and even a private Facebook community where you'll fellowship and interact with a like-minded community of believers. If you want to be notified when the program goes live, and even help us design the experience from the ground up, head on over to www.jointca.co. Today and sign up for the waitlist. You'll get early access to the private Facebook group for free as a thank you for joining. You're listening to the Creation Academy a weekly podcast defending the truth of God's Word in Biblical Creation Science. I'm your host, Steve Schramm, and this week we want to begin a brand new series on selections from the ICC. That is, the International Conference on... Creationism. This is the beginning of our brand new series, and what we are uh, going to be doing is taking selections from that uh, fr- from the papers that were submitted to the ICC this year. They have one every four years, and so we just had ours um, this past July, um, and. There were some good papers that were submitted, there were some not so good papers that were submitted, and uh, in any sense, we're going to go ahead and talk about a few of those uh, this time around. And uh, what I'm working on as well is having uh, some of the scientists who uh, submitted these papers uh, to actually come on and interview with us. Uh, We for sure have one coming on next week, and we're certainly really excited about that. Uh, We don't have one this week, though. This week, it is me. I am Flying Solo, and what we're going to do is look at Dr. Danny Faulkner's paper on the current state of creation astronomy 2. Now, the last one of these that he did, um, I want to say... It was 1998. It was either 98 or 99 when he first uh, did his version of the current state of creation astronomy. And so uh, it's been till now Um that uh, that this has happened again. And so what he has done is taken a look at where the science has advanced since the last time he recorded or uh, since the last time he uh, printed the information um, uh, nearly t- uh, 20 years ago. So, um, yeah, it's really exciting, uh, I think, that... We have the opportunity to get this grand retrospect uh, with creationist research, especially with respect to astronomy, because um, this is a field in which I think we do face difficulty and we do face harsh um uh, criticism from from mainstream scientists trying to come up with a cosmology that works and a cosmology that is consistent with the Bible, also consistent with what we know and our best uh, our best attested discoveries. From science. Again, here at the Creation Academy, we don't hate science. As creation scientists, we don't hate science. In fact, all the more we desire to see the science advance because we love our Creator and we understand that God is a God of order. God created this world, God placed in the world the Uh, capacities necessary such that we would even be able to do science. And the exploration that is um, involved in such a thing really reminds us of something divine, doesn't it? Uh, The fact that we can go explore this wonderful creation, is a gift truly from God. And so we want to honor that by doing the best possible science. So what we're going to do then is just dive right in and start talking about the current state of creation, astronomy. Now, uh, I would encourage you, uh, if you've never heard our podcast here before, um, you can go to com slash devend. Check that out. Uh, you can get on our mailing list and get some some awesome uh resources from us on a weekly basis and uh, I'll put that link in the show notes where you can go grab that Of course additionally I'd encourage you if you're already on the website and that's where you're listening to this I would encourage you to click on the link in there that says um, uh, click here to subscribe and share on iTunes something like that is what it says and I would encourage you to go ahead and get subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode uh, and if you enjoy what we do here, rate the show, review the show, uh, and of course, subscribe to it. All right? So uh, without further ado, let's begin talking about the current state of creation astronomy. What I'm going to do for you here is read the abstract, and then i uh, What I've done is write down some general thoughts and highlights that I had after reading uh, the whole paper. And we're going to discuss just a little bit of the intricacies of it um, and, uh, and go from there. Okay, so here is the abstract. Quote, it has been nearly 20 years since the previous review of the State of Creation Astronomy. Since then, much progress has occurred in developing a creation model of astronomy, and some of the recommendations of that earlier review have been carried out. Both the number of papers on astronomical topics published in the creation literature and their depth of coverage have increased tremendously. There has been less concern with criticism of evolutionary ideas as creationists have begun to develop their own models of astronomy. While emphasis on indicators of recent origin is not as great as it used to be, that continues to be a topic of discussion. The number of proposed solutions to the light travel time problem has doubled. New cosmologies have appeared. We have debated the interpretation of craters within the framework of six-day recent creation. The discovery of many extrasolar planets has shed light both on the difficulty of the naturalistic origin of planetary systems and the uniqueness of Earth. Creationists are divided on the existence of dark matter and the cause of cosmological redshifts. I offer recommendations for future study. Close quote, and of course that comes from Dr. Danny Faulkner uh, from Answers in Genesis, and uh, we love Dr. Faulkner. He's got a heart of gold, and uh, he is a really, really great, uh, great scientist, and wants to honor the Lord with everything that he does. Something that is uh, certainly important to us here. So let's talk about then uh, some 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 general thoughts that I, I got from this paper. Um, and some of the highlights. So, I love to see this. If you've been listening to our podcast for any period of time, you probably picked out a phrase inside of that abstract uh, that uh, that you thought, "Man, I bet that is music to Steve's ears." And here's what it is. Uh, it says there has been less concern. With criticism of evolutionary ideas, as creationists have begun to develop their own models of astronomy. Now, this is uh, this is good news. This is good news um, because even though. We have had many developments since this last state of creation research. The truth is, many more are uh, needed. Uh, There is much more work to be done, as will become clear, hopefully to you, by the time we are done today. That said, the trend is moving in the right direction. And it's moving in the right direction like this in many, many fields. As a matter of fact... um, Many of the presenters at the ICC this year uh, were individuals that are known for this kind of um, progressive thinking. Not progressive in the sense that we violate um, anything clearly revealed by Scripture, but progressive in the sense that we realize in order for our views to be taken even remotely seriously we're going to have to start generating uh some some good um predictable models For the way things should be. And um, um, of course there are those who have been doing that for years and years and years. uh, But there are few and far between. But what I am excited to report is more and more and more of the young and -and up-and-coming creation scientists and creation uh, scientists who become university professors at Christian colleges are... Um, uh, they are increasingly adopting this attitude of finding, um, finding good reasons and good models to support what we believe the Bible shows. And so we're not just making it up here. Uh, we are not just criticizing the evolutionists. We are uh, getting in there and doing the work necessary uh, to be able to produce uh, these models for a good future. In creation research. Now I noticed something else as I was reading down through the paper and this is maybe a little bit of good news and bad news here. um, Quote, it appears thus that in the creation literature today there is less improper criticism of evolutionary ideas than there was two decades ago. Um, let me stop right here and say that's great. That is, that is good news. Uh, if we are going to criticize the evolutionary view, um, e- even though we don't need to major our time doing that, uh, if we're if we're going to do that, we need to do it properly. Because to improperly critique the view would be to set up a straw man. This is a logical fallacy. And we don't want to argue from a position of logical absurdity because, well, that means that our views are logically absurd. And so we don't want to do that. We want to be sure that we are most accurately representing the evolutionary view um, whenever we have the opportunity to critique it. This establishes our credibility. It establishes the fact that we do understand these views, that that we're not ignorant to them. We just disagree with them, and for very good reasons. Um, However, unfortunately, Faulkner says, continuing here, that there has not been nearly as much progress regarding the argument of design, and that would be uh, a, uh, the end of that quote. Now, the, the problem here is that there has been progress, and he notes this, uh, regarding the argument of design. It's just not from the young earth creationists. Uh, The ID guys and also Hugh Ross, guys like that over there at Reasons to Believe, they have done some work in these past two decades regarding these arguments uh, of design. But there really is no um, um, robust creationist treatment on this young age creationist. And so we definitely... um, want to build on the work of others, uh, and we want to see what uh, what opportunity lies ahead for research in that space. We're going to need to have Good arguments from design that we can use that don't uh, that don't depend on evolutionary ideas. Now, of course, we do have those, right? I mean, we we certainly can argue for for teleology in nature without having to appeal to the Big Bang or something like that. Nevertheless, from a cosmological perspective and from a young age perspective, we really don't have what we need there, or or what we should have. So that's going to need to be further. Uh, developed, so he recommends that. Uh, there have been proposed four new light travel, um, light time travel solutions, okay, um, since that time now. Some of these are. Uh, have been around long enough that uh, it's kind of like, wow, I didn't realize it's, it's been in the last two decades. But it has been. Uh, there are at least four new suggestions here that he mentions. And actually, uh, one of the papers that we're going to be talking about, and um, actually one of the guests that I hope to have on with us, is going to be talking about a a what would be the beginnings of another uh, solution that I think you might find interesting. So uh, the four that Faulkner discusses here are Humphrey's updated time dilation model, Hartnett's um, 5D model, which also relies on general relativity, much like Humphrey's, um, Jason Lyles' anisotropic synchrony convention model, and then Faulkner's uh, matured creation. Not mature creation, but matured creation, which he also calls Dasha theory. Uh, or Shah theory. And so, essentially, uh, of these four solutions, of course, Faulkner is the one who is, is writing, and uh, I would assume, although he does not discuss it here in the paper, I would assume that he's probably most convinced by his own suggestion that, um, of those, and I know folks who go, uh, different ways on this. I, I know some creationist physicists who really like Dr. Jason Lyle's suggestion, and then I know some who do not like his suggestion at all, and they, uh, kind of stick with the Humphreys, you know, updated, uh, time dilation deal, and so, uh, I'm not gonna comment on that. I'm certainly not the expert on creationist astronomy, um, and, uh, I, uh, uh this is an area where I need to develop my thoughts further as well. Um, if I had to pick one, (laughs) right. If I had to, if I had to say, Hey, uh, this looks good to me. Um, I, I think at this moment in time, I would be going with Faulkner and, um, That may be surprising to some people. The reason is because it's not very well developed yet, and it's also not entirely scientific. Um, But I think he's got the right idea. I think that creation was a one-time miraculous event. And while I think that there are certainly uh, some things we can do to see uh, science in the scriptures, and to 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 build scientific models that align with what we see in the scriptures, of course, I totally agree with that. Uh, we also want to honor the fact that creation was a miraculous event, and what implications does that have for the science? Well, one interesting implication that it has is that I think it's possible that we can't. Scientifically, model the very beginning of the universe. This may be possible because it was a supernatural event. And uh, what Faulkner's suggestion essentially does is to capitalize on the Hebrew word desha, which uh, essentially means uh, to bring forth. Okay, this is where it says the earth brought forth. Um, grass and such like that. Uh, and the kind of language that is used therein indicates kind of a, a shooting uh, action. I think that's a really interesting Bible study. Uh, and uh, Faulkner argues that uh, God simply stretched out the heavens such that the light uh, from the stars uh, would have uh, traveled and been translated um, that distance through the stretching process, and I'm probably not explaining that very well. Sometime we will uh, discuss his suggestion a little bit further. Um, Scientifically, there are many questions with it, but it trades on the miraculous nature of creation, and it's not so much a scientific model, um, but a suggestion for um, a way that we can understand the physical reality in light of what God's word tells us about the nature of that event. And so that's why I think it's an interesting suggestion. Uh also because it honors uh what I believe to be true about the creation. I am not simply a young earth creationist. I am a young age creationist. This um is a very precise term that I'm using to account for the fact that I believe that the entirety of the creation is only 6000 years old. Um, I don't think the heavenly bodies in the deepest, darkest domains of the universe are actually millions of years old because they've experienced more time than we have. I, I don't. I don't personally subscribe to that model, um, and so. I think something like this um, matured creation angle from Faulkner might end up being uh, the right solution. But who knows? Uh, there may be ways to understand it with a little bit more physicality uh, attached. And so, uh, of course, there are from some of these other guys. I- I'm just, you know, d- different people are agreed on different models. And so we'll leave that there. This is not a discussion of starlight models. This is just the current state of creationist astronomy. Okay, so... Um, here's something that uh, Faulkner sees as important to creationist Cosmology. Quote Over the past two decades, there has been progress in developing a biblical cosmology. For a long time, biblical creationists had assumed that Genesis 1 1 describes God's creation of the space of the universe at the beginning of day one, while the rakia, firmament or expanse of day two, referred to the earth's atmosphere. However, creation scientists increasingly have suggested that the rakia, made on day two, It's what we call outer space. Uh, For instance, you can see Humphreys, 1994A, or possibly uh, outer space and much of the atmosphere as well, Faulkner, 2016B. Neither author has been clear about one point. There, ha- there must have been space prior to day two because the primordial earth and its water created on day one require the existence of at least some space. More properly, this emerging view of day two involves the creation of primordial and relatively small space that got expanded into the universe on day day two. Without a proper understanding of when God made the space of the universe and when he expanded it, it is not likely that a good biblical cosmology is possible. Therefore, if this emerging idea is the proper understanding of day two creation, then it is a firm foundation upon which to construct a biblical cosmology." Okay, now, uh, here are some interesting conclusions from that. Quote, if the expanse of day two is properly identified with outer space, uh, which he does discuss it in the paper, we can draw these uh, at least three conclusions, uh, Faulkner, 2016b. First, the universe is finite in size and probably has an edge. This is contrary to most cosmological models today, which posit that the universe is infinite, or that if the universe is finite, it has no edge. Second, if the expansion of the rakia was reasonable, uh, reasonably symmetrical, it implies that the earth is near the center of the universe. Again, this contradicts most modern cosmologies, in that they do not allow the universe to have a center, and even Uh, Of those models that do, they suggest it is extremely improbable that the Earth would be anywhere near that center. Um, And he says in there that he shall return to that point later, and that's true. He will look at that in a little bit. Third, there is water lying at the edge of the universe. Now that's an interesting suggestion. We'll revisit that in just a moment. Um, there's a need to craft a more centralized creationist understanding of redshifts, according to Faulkner. Uh, he argues that there is substantial proof from modern astronomy to uh, to posit the expansion of the universe. We need to kind of integrate this um, because many creationists still fail to accept this interpretation. And we actually dealt with a paper of Faulkner's on this point in lesson number 39, the case for cosmological redshifts. I'd invite you to check that out. Um, As I mentioned previously, Faulkner argues that biblical passages which refer to God stretching out the heavens may actually be a, a day to past event um, which uh, could lend some credence to his starlight uh, suggestion. So in other words, it might be that this uh, particular event was uh, a, a one-time thing that happened that it is not referring to the current expansion of the universe that we understand uh, is happening today. It might not be referring to that at all. Okay, creationists must also do more work on the concept of dark matter. Dark matter. Um, many creationists have advanced reasons that it does not even exist um, however many of these reasons often end up uh, producing unhelpful contradictions so uh, for example Faulkner says this quote another reason for opposition to dark matter among creationists may be a desire to promote evidence for recent origin um, the outer regions of galaxies rotate far faster than can be accounted for by the visible matter present Furthermore, galaxies within clusters are moving too quickly to be in bound orbits based upon the amount of visible matter within the clusters. However, if the masses of galaxies, particularly in their outer regions, are dominated by dark matter, these high velocities are accounted for. Some creationists may argue that the outer regions of the galaxies and clusters of galaxies are unstable and thus indicate recent origin, Uh, But is this not a bit inconsistent? Creationists often comment on the stability that exists in the universe, suggesting design. But now some creationists want to throw this stability and design argument away in their haste to discard dark matter. Close quote. Uh, This... But this just seems like intellectual, I mean, suicide <laughs> to me. We want to be careful about that. Um, Faulkner argues that disproving dark matter would, in fact, not be a silver bullet against the Big Bang. Um, and since he's argued that, quote, there are good observational reasons for the existence of dark matter, close quote, creationists need to incorporate a more unified understanding of dark matter into their models, So that's interesting. Um, We need to get on board with this, um, Faulkner is saying. Okay, let's move on to young age indicators. Young age indicators. Um, uh, He gives us some updates with respect to those. Uh, First of all, comments. There's still no observational data of any kind for an Oort cloud. Of course, you know that the Oort cloud... um, is this uh, kind of imaginary construct that uh, exists within the realm of Big Bang cosmology, whereby we are supposed to see the 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 universe resupplied with short period comets, uh, and thus far no such cloud uh, exists. Many astronomers think they've discovered the so-called Kuiper Belt, which is kind of another one of these um, um, comet uh, you know replenishing. Uh, phenomena, but many of these Kuiper Belt objects, or KBOs, um, face difficulty being equated with comet nuclei, um, such as their density. So uh, there's still no solid um, old-age understanding of comets which can easily overcome this particular indicator. Okay, lunar dust. Um, It appears that uh, the measured amount of lunar dust is still not a good argument for recent creation. but of course we still want to monitor the uh the situation um this is something that was advanced over and over again a while ago and uh because of the way that the calculations were carried out turns out that it was not a young age or an old age indicator is just a mute uh, a moot point excuse me and we've talked about that um, in the past here and so he says yeah let's monitor the situation but essentially uh, this is still not an argument that should be used Uh, planetary magnetic fields Humphrey's work on this uh, continues to to hit expectations uh, with successful predictions now for Uranus Neptune and Mercury uh, solar neutrinos, old arguments from the 80s uh, keep resurfacing, he says, uh, but are not true. Okay, so the the, the sun is not shrinking, uh, as was the case, uh, as was thought to be the case um, back in the 80s when this argument um, um, uh, was advanced first, and there is no solar neutrino problem. So this is just something that, it, it's, it's not even an issue, okay? We don't need to, to bring it up. The faint young sun paradox. Quote, according to stellar evolution theory, early in its history, the sun was much fainter than it is today. With much less solar influx, the early Earth ought to have been about 17 degrees uh, Celsius cooler than today. Since the Earth's average temperature is now 15 uh, degrees Celsius, one would expect the early Earth to have been encased in ice. However, no one thinks that the early Earth was like this. There have been many attempts to explain the faint young sun paradox, but none of the proposed solutions seem to work close quote on that, by the way. Um, uh, Binary stars, um, interacting binary stars. Uh, And so essentially here, the rate of stellar evolution of many close binary stars is faster than had been thought previously. Um, this is not something that has been well developed yet. Uh, we need to do more work on this. However, it is promising, um, looking promising that the science is going to produce for us another young age indicator. Neuron stars in globular clusters. I'm going to go ahead and quote him on this. Quote, the progenitors of neuron stars are thought to be massive stars. Stars with sufficient mass to produce neuron stars ought to have short lifetimes, certainly less than a billion years. Astronomers think that globular clusters are at least 10 billion years old, and that globular clusters have not had significant star formation for most of the past 10 billion years. Yet, there are significant numbers of neuron stars in globular clusters. Furthermore, neuron stars often have high space velocity, probably from impulsive kicks they received from an asymmetry in the explosions that formed them. Therefore, neutron stars ought to depart globular clusters rapidly in a matter of thousands of years. These two lines of evidence suggest that globular clusters are not nearly as old as generally thought." Then he mentions the interior heat of the Jovian planets. Uh, Essentially, Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune uh, all emit more energy than they receive from the sun, and they've got no internal mechanism to replenish their heat. Um, This means you have to use their primordial heat to uh, explain this, Um, but the number is inconsistent with evolutionary time frames and is actually consistent with creationary time frames. Volcanic satellites, um, various satellite moons such as um, Io uh, and Cleidus and Triton have uh, volcanic features that are difficult to reconcile on evolutionary time frames. Um, uh, an internal heat mechanism for Io has been suggested, uh, but uh, Wayne Spencer has shown it incapable of explaining Io's uh, internal heat. And so that's kind of a similar problem as we saw with the Jovian planets, but in some, ver- um, some of the satellites. And then we have Pluto, finally, as the 10th young age indicator. A lack of cratering on Pluto and Charon, its satellite, suggests a recent creation, as well as much additional evidence, which will need to be explored and integrated into the creation model. So so good work on young age indicators. Uh, some things we already had nailed down there. Uh and uh so we've got a, a, at least about 10 in the universe that are good at young age indicators. And what's nice about this is these are not models, right? These are not um these are not things that um uh, require um scientific unproven assumptions. I want to be careful how I word this. These are um These are actually things that work against the old age view directly. Um, In other words, they are evidence that contradict the old age view that don't require any sort of young age presupposition or anything. They're just difficulties that don't work uh, on the... um, on the old age view so I like those young age indicators uh, cratering uh, much more work needs to be done on various solar system bodies um, where we have uh, cratering seeming cratering events that need to be um, uh, explained um, the generally accepted theorem for solar system cratering is Faulkner's day 4 hypothesis um, and the earth and additional solar system cratering uh, would have happened during the flood likely Um All of this needs much, much more refining, and in fact, we have, hopefully, uh, an expert on cratering coming up on the podcast very soon, perhaps even next week's episode, so I'm very excited about that. Planetary astronomy. Um, Virtually nothing significant in the creation literature has happened in planetary astronomy. Um, Much more work to be done in this area, many more questions to be answered, All right, And then the extrasolar planets. Um... Since the previous review, much more exploration has been done on these uh, uh, planets. Um, you know, we're approaching four thousand of them now that we know of, and and this number is rising. Um, as of yet, no Earth-like planets have been found. So this is a sure expectation of the creation model, uh, but of course, it remains a question mark for the evolutionists, who certainly don't want to say that we are uh, that we are e- unique in this universe. So th- th- these are kind of some of the highlights and observations from the paper um, that we that we noted. I pulled out a few things from it that I, I, I want to say they are uh, specific inquiries that I have or, or, or some conclusions that I've drawn here. Um, from my reading of the paper, and I'm sorry that this was kind of just like a, you know, a, a going down a list uh, kind of a podcast. It wasn't very conversational, but I just kind of wanted to update you on the current state of creation astronomy, and I feel that this was the best way to do that. Um, so here are a couple interesting things uh, that I think um, are going to improve interesting areas of study. Um, Study of the nature of the rakia will be very, very important, I think, in coming years. And of course, Faulkner wants to argue that, uh, as the Bible says, that rakia is associated with the um, heavens. And so, um, an improper understanding of this term um, has contributed to the idea that the Bible teaches a patently false cosmology. So, uh, water, for instance, at the edge of the universe seems necessary for this above interpretation, um, which, of course, will, uh, require much further study. Now, before you balk at that, by the way, there is water that is, of course, found in different forms that astronomers are aware of at different places in the universe, um, but here's, uh, something that might be interesting to you, um, water at the edge of the universe may be consistent with the CMB the cosmic microwave background radiation that is promulgated as undeniable evidence for the big bang theory. And so, um, yeah, lots more work needs to be done on this, but Faulkner actually discusses that in uh, in an article on Answers in Genesis that he's got titled, Thoughts on the Rakia and a Possible Explanation for the Cosmic Microwave Background. This is available at the Answers Research Journal, and I read it. I think it's a great, um, a great introductory article to this issue, even though much more work needs to be done. Um, A fuller discussion of cratering is going to help pave the pathway for much more research, and uh, my conclusions there are right in line with what Faulkner saw on that, and... um Again, I'm hoping to get a little bit more insight on that from one of the foremost voices in cratering uh, in young age creationism. And uh, he rightly recommends, Faulkner does, uh, the need for creationist literature on star formation. Oh, and I so much agree. I so much agree. Um, the only real uh, creationist response whenever the, this whole issue of star formation come up, comes up seems to be, well, stars don't form. Uh We need a more comprehensive answer due to the well-developed theories of how stars change with time in, um, the evolutionary paradigm, all right? So how much can we accept of their conclusions and how much must we reject based on the biblical data, um... Uh, 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 uh and of course i don't mean to say that we reject empirical data based on biblical data but we want to be sure that we uh that we use the helpful features of their uh, uh of current mainstream thought uh, but while understanding that it would be um, circular reasoning to uh to accept the ones that do not uh comport with um um, with biblical assumptions because they're using secular assumptions. It is circular reasoning. So we want to be sure that we are being honest there. Um, generally speaking, in terms of this actual update on creation astronomy, uh, it's been encouraging. Uh, I think that uh, the future is very bright for creationist research in this space. Um, certainly, though, uh, it serves to highlight the need for more work. Um There's much more to be done, and I'm thankful that there are guys who are working on this kind of thing on a regular basis, and uh, I can't wait to see what the next uh, state of creation astronomy holds. I think it's going to be uh, an uh, an exciting thing in the coming years. All right, so why don't we say a word of prayer, dear Heavenly Father? We love you and want to say thank you for uh, the wonderful scientists who have contributed to Cretaceous research in the last two decades, Lord, to um, uh, to to give Faulkner something to write about, Father. Thank you that we have been able to make this progress. As we study more of your creation, learn more about who you are and learn more about uh, what uh, the world was like in the first moments of the creation, Lord, and learn more about the creation as it is today. Uh, Thank you for loving us and for sending your son to die on a cross for our sins that we might be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you again for for joining us uh, today, this week here on the Creation Academy. Um, Excited to have you join us again. uh, If you enjoy the show, please uh, rate it. Review it. Uh, If you're listening on the website, go to iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts rather and subscribe to it. We're also on the uh, Google Play Store, so go ahead there and subscribe uh, as well. If you have an Android device, we're uh, excited that you joined us and uh, looking forward to uh, some upcoming discussions that we're going to have with some of the contributors to the ICC. And so these are going to be, I think, very helpful, uh, very instructive lessons for you. All right. God bless you. Hope you have a good week and we'll see you next time. Bye bye.